Welcome to Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. This week we have a guest speaker, Pastor Corey Henderson from Christian Life Church in Columbia, South Carolina. For more information about this sermon and other resources, please visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. Well, good morning. It is a, it is a real honor uh, to be here this morning with you. I have heard so much about this fantastic church and uh, church family and all that the Lord is doing. Um, you can really sense um, when you step into worship that this is a house that's been prepared through prayer. And uh, you can really sense the the presence of the Lord here. Um, it's so neat to be able to come and to be able to see so many uh, folks that have come through the the School of Leadership in South Carolina. Um, it is uh, it's it's just really neat. Jody, I had no idea you could sing that well. I had no idea. I've, I really didn't. I was I kind of looked at Kayla. I was like, what just happened? I don't even know. But man, she's phenomenal. Micah, you've done a fantastic job with this worship ministry, man. I'm, I mean that. It's really incredible. Really grateful. Um, really grateful. I hope you know, I hope you know the gift that you have, uh, in your pastors. And, uh, I hope you know that, uh, Caleb and Haley are, they're, they're special people to my family, but they are a special couple. And uh, God's hand is on them and on this church. And so we're really excited about uh, what the Lord's doing here. And uh, it's an honor for me to be here today to uh, uh, to speak with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 15 today. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 15. Um, after this weekend, I, I thought about uh, the topic I was going to teach on. And after uh, my, my poor Seminoles took a beating yesterday and, uh, I thought that maybe we should just dedicate the entire day to prayer and fasting for them. Um, but then I thought, nah, most people don't even care anymore. So, uh, uh, today I want to, uh, I want to talk with you. I want to share with you, um, uh, some things on, on a personal level, but I want to, I want to walk us through some events and the life of a man named Abraham. I want to talk to you about the, uh, the, the process of, a, of the fulfillment of a promise is what I want to do. And Genesis 15 will be here. You know, in, in, our, in our modern culture, most people do not take vows or promises or commitments uh, very seriously. It's not something that is high on most people's uh, mind. Uh, we can see that in, in American culture with the divorce rate. Uh, we can see it almost at every level of society, uh, even at the highest levels of society. And um, when, when you live in a nation where your highest elected officials are known for not keeping their commitments, uh, that's, that's only going to trickle down all the more. And so we live in a... In a very broken society, we live in a broken world, obviously. Um, and that makes, that makes tremendous problems for the Christian believer because God in his sovereignty, in his, his knowing of human nature, he oftentimes decides to communicate to us through means of promises, through means of Things that are set before us that he says that he is going to do for us or in us or with our lives. He sets those oftentimes so far ahead of us and gives us an idea that he is going to bring these things to pass. But sometimes they can seem so far away and questions arise. Is God, did I really hear from the Lord? Is he really going to do these things? And because we live in a culture 
that is known for breaking its vows to us, oftentimes that's translated over to our relationship with Father. And so now all of a sudden, when Father does speak a word to us and God commits that he is going to bring something to pass, he, he gives us a promise, oftentimes it is so removed from us in the future that we begin to question his commitment to us and his faithfulness because we live in the context of a society uh, that is very broken with its levels of commitment. And so uh, it, it creates a very serious problem. But I think it's important for all of us to understand this, that the Lord very, very seriously takes care of the promises that he gives to us. As a matter of fact, um, one of the psalmists wrote in Psalm 145, the Bible says that the Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises. He went so far as to say, he said, let every human being be a liar, but let the Lord be true. And so this morning, I just kind of want to walk with you through the life of Abraham, uh, some things that God promised to him that were uh, were rationally should have been questioned, and oftentimes they were. But we want to walk through this process things in hopes that as God begins to speak to us, reveal his promises to us, that we will be able to reflect on the life of Abraham, and we will be able to take comfort in knowing that God is going to be faithful to his word. So in order to do that, what we got to understand is that God oftentimes communicates to us in two primary ways. The first primary way is through his word. That is, that is the most primary way that God communicates to his people. Oftentimes, um, in scripture, the, the word of God is what we call, a, it's a Greek word, it's called the logos word. Many of you are familiar with this. And basically what it means is just a scriptural word from the Lord. For today's purposes, we're talking about scriptural promises from the Lord. And so when you read scriptures like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That is a Logos promise that God has given to us. So that word is going to come to pass. It is concrete. It is uh, not subjective. It is a promise that God is going to bring to fulfillment. Okay? The problem is, is that oftentimes God also chooses to speak to us in another way, which we would call a rhema word. It's a Greek word that basically means an utterance. This is um, what happens when uh, you're in prayer and all of a sudden the Lord brings someone to your mind and the Lord speaks something to you about that person, how you can pray for that person in such a way that you would never have known. It's, it's an utterance that we sense from the Lord. And oftentimes when God speaks to his people today, we have these rhema words that come from the Lord. And, and it's something that we can't necessarily find in the Bible word for word, but it is something that we know God has spoken to us. Okay. Oftentimes these rhema words come in, in, in several different forms. They can oftentimes come through uh, an utterance. It's where we hear the still small voice of the Lord, where he has planted something so deeply inside of us. We can also get a rhema word from the Lord uh, with uh, angelic visitation or words of prophecy. or uh, There are a lot of different ways that God can speak rhema words. The problem with rhema words is that they are incredibly subjective. So what you have is you have 
the Logos word, the scriptural promises of God that are not subjective at all. They are concrete. They are going to come to pass. There's no question about them. On the other side of things, you have the rhema word of the Lord, which is incredibly subjective because we are very emotional beings. And oftentimes when God is trying to communicate to us, um, we have a tendency sometimes to either mishear what the Lord is saying or misunderstand what the Lord is saying or simply just hear our own emotion as opposed to God's voice. And so what we have to learn to do is we have to take these two types of communication styles from the Lord and we have to come to terms with them. And we have to understand that uh, the rhema words that we receive from the Lord, the, the words, the prophetic utterances and these kind of things, these all need to be measured in some type of way. If we walked around and every time we thought we heard the Lord say something and we instantly acted upon it, it would be a really insane place. So what we have to do is when we sense that God is speaking, what we do is we take that rhema word and we measure it against this word that is the incorruptible word. And so we take what is subjective and we measure it against what is not subjective. And when these two things come into alignment, all of a sudden you begin to have uh, these experiences, encounters with the Lord, uh, similar to what Mary had when Gabriel came to her. This is a rhema experience that, that Mary has when Gabriel comes and says, you're going to have uh, a son, even though you're a virgin girl. And so what we have to learn to do as we grow and operate in things of the spirit realm in, in prophetic giftings. Uh, Paul said we should, we should desire the greater prophetic giftings. We should pursue those things, but we have to pursue those things with balance. We have to pursue those things with a clear conscience and when they align to God's word. And so, um, if you are having issues with your husband and you have a dream one night and you have a dream that you feel like you should leave your husband and you wake up the next morning and you say, I'm leaving my husband. God spoke to me and said, I should leave my husband because we argued last night. That my friends is not a rhema word. How do we know that? Because when we measure what we think is a word from the Lord, when we measure it against what is incorruptible, we find out that that is just not the case. Um, I'm sure if you've been a Christian long enough, especially in a charismatic or Pentecostal realm, you have heard some doozies of, of stories. And um, uh, I remember years ago, uh, there was a man that, that came, and, and he I, I have no doubt that he was encountering God frequently. I, I, I really feel like he was having unique encounters with the Lord. But he showed up one day, and he said, "My uh, God has spoken to me that I am to leave my wife and our four children. I'm to move to another state and I'm to have a Paul Timothy relationship with, with a mentor of mine. And this is, this is just what God is calling me to do. And he did it. He wouldn't submit himself to, uh, wisdom from wise counsel. He wouldn't submit himself to not only the authority, the human authority, but the authority of God's word. And it created just, just a disaster in his family and, and so many people around. And so when we, when we choose to live in such a way, it's a little bit reckless and it can bring incredible damage, uh, upon not only our, our own lives, but, uh, but upon other people. And so we, we've got to be sure that we're measuring these rhema words against the word of the Lord. Now, when these rhema words and experiences do come to pass, they are phenomenal and they're incredible. And God does speak today in these types of manners. 
But today what we want to do is we want to take a, a look at uh, the life of Abraham. And I want to share with you a Rama encounter that Abraham had. Uh, and most of you are, are very familiar with the story. But I hope uh, to be able to look at some observations and help us come to terms with some things as God gives us Rama encounters also. Now, most of you know uh, Abraham. You, you're familiar with his life. He's a man of incredible influence, a man of incredible wealth. Um, God has blessed him indeed on so many different levels, but God has not blessed him with children. And especially in the day that Abraham and, and much throughout biblical history, having children, having a lineage to having, having an heir that you could pass everything on to was of the utmost importance and considered the favor of the Lord. And so Abram at the age of 75, he's at a place and he's not had a child yet. He's getting older and, and the Lord comes to him in this dramatic encounter. And we're going to read here from Genesis 15. This is what uh, the scripture says. The events pick up that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram again. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and God counted, counted it to him as righteousness. So at the age of 75, this faithful man of God has a rhema encounter with the Lord. He says, I'm 75 years of age. You haven't given me anything. One of my servants is going to take over my household and he's going to inherit everything I've given. And the Lord says, no, I understand your age and I'm aware of all these things going on biologically. But I'm telling you, I'm giving you a word today that I'm going to fulfill my word and I am going to give you a son. And through that son's life, you will become a father of many nations. So at the age of 75, uh, Abraham receives this word from the Lord. But 10 years later, the word from the Lord still hasn't come to pass. So at the age of 85, Abram is just kind of sitting around thinking to himself logically, rationally, surely I have misheard the Lord or surely God is not going to be faithful to do what he says, or maybe God has spoken in such a way that he expected me to fulfill this promise in a different type of way. And so Abram goes and he takes his servant girl, uh, Hagar. He, he sleeps with her. They conceive a child, Ishmael. And it's revealed over the next several years that this is not uh, the child, though God has granted this child, this is not the child that God had initially appointed to be the offspring uh, for Abraham. And so at the age of 99, 99 years. Now, now consider Abraham lived to be about 175, okay? So this is a little more than halfway throughout his lifetime. But at the age of 99, Abraham has this encounter with these three angels and they come and they confirm the word of the Lord. They say, Abram, we understand, we know what you did with Hagar and we, we know this whole mess. But I'm telling you that the word of the Lord is going to come to pass. And it's not just going to come to pass indefinitely. It's going to come to pass within the next year. And so at the ripe age, 
of 100 years, his wife being about 90, Abram, Abraham conceives and they give birth to their first child, their son, Isaac. It's an incredible thing. And if you've ever had, if you've ever had an encounter with God where he spoke something to you so deeply, maybe something so incredibly personal, and that thing has come to pass in your lifetime, you know how precious and exciting and exhilarating that can be. You know that there, there is nothing in the world like it. But if you've ever walked through the process of seeing that promise fulfilled, you know that the process is not exactly what we would call exhilarating. The process is oftentimes frustrating, very many times frustrating and confusing, full of questions, full of hurt, full of heartache. But on the other side of the promise, there is nothing like it in the world. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a few observations from, from Abram's journey through the fulfillment of this promise. And what, what my hope is, is that it will help us understand, regardless of where we're at, whether we're on this side of the promise or in the middle of the fulfillment or at the end of the fulfillment, it will help bring clarity to where we are by being able to reflect back on some of what Abraham uh, has been able to go through. And so the first thing I want to do is, is I want to talk to you about the fact that God's fulfillment did not come to pass in Abraham's life without trust. Now, this is obvious because we know that Abraham is known as a hero of the faith. We always talk about uh, Father Abraham and, and his faith, but there's something behind the trust and the confidence. that God is trying to get something out of us that we don't exactly realize while we're walking through this thing, while he's, he's trying to get the trust. I grew up uh, right outside of Pensacola where uh, your pastor grew up in, in Pensacola. It's so ironic. We never knew each other until we moved to South Carolina, but he grew up in Pensacola. I grew up in a small town called Milton outside of Pensacola. And uh, I remember uh, my entire childhood being absolutely terrified of severe weather. For, for whatever reason... Um, I, I was especially terrified of tornadoes. And, but I was the same kid that would watch the storm chasers. I was fascinated by tornadoes, but I was freaked out by them at the same time. I don't know if something was wrong with me, but, uh, all my friends had all these aspirations to be baseball players and movie stars and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I was excited for them and I just knew my life was going to end at like the age of 12 by tornado. You know, I just, there was something in me. I just, I knew that I was marked for death by tornado, but, um, my dad traveled a lot when I, when I was young, and um, oftentimes it was just me, my, my sister, and my mom at the house. And, uh, you know, growing up in Pensacola, if you've ever lived anywhere along the Gulf Coast, you know that uh, during the summer, especially at about 2.36 p.m., every afternoon there's going to be a thunderstorm, and usually a severe thunderstorm. And so every afternoon, you know, I, the I would see gray clouds or it would start to rain or something like that. And uh, I would go to my mom and she'd say, I'd say, mom, where is dad? And she would say, dad's not here. And I would get so upset and I would just say, I just want dad. And, and she would say, but I'm your mom. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And, and it's true. My mom wouldn't have, she would have thrown herself in front of the tornado to protect me. I know that about my mom. Okay. And if you're a mom, you can probably relate to that. But there was something innate within me that just, I understood my mom's willingness to protect me, 
But there was something innate within me. I needed my father there because I really had a deeper confidence that he would protect me. Regardless of how chaotic it got, I remember in the middle of hurricanes. I remember during the middle of Hurricane Opal, one of the worst hurricanes in, in Northwest Florida history. I remember going out in the eye of the hurricane and standing in my front yard because my dad was there. I remember just, I remember having this sense of confidence and boldness, confidence that, that my dad was going to care for me regardless of what it looked like. And I think that oftentimes when God begins to put us through this, this process of the fulfillment of things that he wants to do in our lives, oftentimes it requires a lot of waiting. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But the frustrating thing is that we oftentimes don't understand why God is causing us to wait. But what I want to help us understand is that he's usually causing that to happen or allowing that thing to be drug out like that because he's trying to get something out of us. He's trying to get an incredible level of reliance on our father. He's trying to get us to a place where we are uh, incredibly confident in what he's going to do for us. This is why oftentimes when you really, when you truly receive a rhema word from the Lord, oftentimes that promise or that thing that God wants to do, oftentimes it is like right on the cusp of impossibility. It's not in the realm of impossibility, but it's right there. It's on the border and it's hopping back and forth. And oftentimes the reason that God speaks those kind of things is because he's trying to bring out a confidence in us that says, if God doesn't cause it to come to pass, I can't make it come to pass. That's what the Lord is trying to get out of us when he causes us to initially begin to, to go through these processes. And so God is after a sense of trust, a sense of reliance, a sense of confidence uh, throughout this process. Abraham's promise also didn't come to fulfillment without what we will, what we'll just call testing. Now, I know that there are theological disagreements when it comes to things about, you know, whether or not God puts us through trials or allows us to go through trials or whether God tempts us or does not tempt us or whether God tests us or does not test us or allows us to be, um, but for the, for the sake of scripture, let me, let me just tell you what, what we know based on scripture. And number one, God will never tempt us for he, he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt by evil is what scripture says. But can I tell you something about testing? He'll test the fool out of you. He'll test the fool out of you. He'll test, he'll test the fool out of all of us. And oftentimes it's because he's trying to test things out of us in order to get that confidence within us. I love uh, in scripture when you're talking about Abram and as he's walking through, the Bible doesn't give you this elaborate story where you got to kind of piece together if God tested Abraham. The Bible simply says in Genesis 22 that God tested Abraham. There's no other explanation. It's just God simply tested Abraham as he walked out this promise. Sometimes it can be incredibly frustrating when, when God tests us. And I don't even understand what every person being tested by the Lord looks like. I mean, that's, you talk about dangerous theology. That can, that can really go off the rails. But there is, there is truth in that God tests us all throughout our lives, but specifically in this process. And I've come to believe that part of the reason that God tests us through processes like this 
is because God is trying to make himself rest assured that our focus is not so much on the promise of God, but it's on the one who is bringing about the promise. When, when the Lord tests Abraham, Abraham at this point, God has already given Abraham the fulfillment of the promise. But God causes Abraham to put that promise on an altar and to be willing to sacrifice that thing. And that was a test from the Lord so that God could ensure that Abraham was not focused just on the fulfillment, but he was focused on the one who would fill it. You think about all throughout scripture, some incredible, incredible examples of people who walk through all these processes. You look at the life of David stands so far and above out to me. Uh, this is a young man who at a young age, the prophet of a nation. Do you understand? We believe that prophets exist today in prophetic words. We, we believe that. I believe your pastor believes that too. But, but, and we understand, uh, there, there are some people that, that give prophetic utterance and we look and we're like, eh, they're about 50 50, you know, and, uh, or it, sometimes it gets worse where you're like, ah, eh, they're about 90 10. They don't get it right a lot, you know, and, but, but you're talking about in the story of David's life, you're talking about the prophet of a nation. A prophet who the Lord said, the words that you speak, I will not let fall to the ground. They're going to come to pass. So a young boy has the prophet of a nation come to him at a young age, and he anoints him to be king. He says, this will come to pass. You are a shepherd now, but you will be a king in a palace one day. And so for decades, David is walking through this process of fulfillment, literally more than 20 years, David is walking through this process of fulfillment. He knows what God has spoken through the prophet. He knows it. It is buried in his soul. But he still must go through the process because God is trying to do things in David's life. It does eventually come to pass. But one of the reasons I believe it came to pass was because I, I love what, what Mike Bickle said about, about the process of, of David's life. He said this. He said that David was focused on doing the will of God, not on becoming the king. So we, we understand that, that becoming king is the goal. That's what he wants. And there's nothing wrong with wanting those things that God has promised. But in David's life, we see again and again and again, him being tested by God, him being tested by Saul, him being tested by his own men at times. But we see him being so focused just on doing the will of God, not violating, not manipulating the situation, but doing the will of God. And in that process, he would soon become king. I remember one time my wife and I were engaged. My wife, Joy, is here today and my son, he's my daughter, Autumn, and our two little ones are in the nursery. But um, my wife and I were, uh, we got engaged. We got married young. I was 19 when we got married. She was 20. Um, so I was into that older woman kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but I remember throughout our engagement, there was a, there was a point in time. I, I really felt like I had heard from the Lord. I, I really felt like joy had felt like she had had like a rhema experience with the Lord that, that our marriage is going to happen. It is of God. It's, it's going to come to pass. But I remember even after we were engaged, 
There was a moment when, when I was at work and I was driving from, from Pensacola to Milton. I, I remember what ramp I was getting on and everything. And I remember really being in, in a struggle emotionally and spiritually. And what I felt like was happening is I felt like God was asking me to lay down my engagement to joy. I really felt like that. And so you can imagine the mind games that I had. I say, no, Lord, remember you, you're the one that told me, you told me this was going to come to pass. You told her. This is going to come to pass in the mouths of two or three witnesses. Let the thing be established. And so, so Lord, I don't understand what's going on. If you're asking me to lay this down, have I stepped out of line? Am I walking in obedience? Are we doing wrong? You know, what is the situation? But, but I just kept, I kept feeling this press. I kept feeling this press that, that I need to be willing. And so at a, at a super crucial moment, I remember I was, I was crying. I was driving a vehicle and I was just crying. And I remember just crying out, Lord, and I said, Father, I'm so frustrated right now. I'm so frustrated with my, I'm frustrated with you, if I can be honest, because he knew anyway. I'm a little frustrated right now because this is so inside of me, and I believe that you've spoken this to me. I'm frustrated. But if it, if it means walking in obedience to you, or if it means having her, as frustrating and as difficult as it is, I'm going to choose to walk in obedience, and I'm, and I'm going to, and I'm going to lay this down. And it's almost as if the Lord just came rushing in like a flood. Not to, not to over emotionalize this or anything like that, but like I said, some of these things are just subjective. They just are what they are. But I remember just having this overwhelming sense of the pleasure of God over my life in that moment. And I remember sensing over the next couple of days, sensing, you know, I, I talked to Joy about it. It was the hardest conversation of my life. But I remember sensing at a certain point the release of God to go ahead and to walk into this marriage. I don't think that God ever intended for me to lay this down. But I think God was testing me to see if I would be willing to lay it down if he called me to do it. And that's, that's a part of the fulfillment of promises. And so, so there's testing that's involved, but uh, another huge important part to the, the process of fulfillment is that work is involved. Abraham's fulfillment didn't come to pass without some toil, without some sweat, without a little bit of work. You understand this man was 99 years of age when he was asked to conceive a child with his 90-year-old wife. Now, I don't know how much you know about biology, but some things, when you're 100, aren't the same that they are when you're 30. But Abraham still had to physically do things in order to see this process come to fulfillment. I'm afraid oftentimes, especially in in certain pockets of culture, there's this last... Uh, you know, lackadaisical attitude. There's, there's, there's a great passivity that comes when we're promised something. It's almost like a sense of entitlement oftentimes that we have. But the Lord steps in and he says, no, listen, there, there's a divine partnership that, that's got to happen here. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do mine. I need you to step into place and appropriately do what, what I'm calling you to do. And what we find all throughout scripture, is that most of the promises of God, most of the logos promises of God, the scriptural promises of God, most of them are, are contingent. Most of them are, are dependent upon what we do first in order to God, for God to bring the fulfillment of these things. This is why the scripture again says, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and turn for the wicked ways. I'll turn, hear from heaven and he'll restore their life. If my people who are called by my name. 
When you bring your tithe into the storehouse, then I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than what you contain. But, it, but it's when you bring your tithe into the storehouse. And so we got to understand that, that especially even concerning the scriptural words from the Lord, oftentimes these things are contingent upon what we do. They are, they are conditional upon what we uh, will do. And so you've got to look at, at your own life and you've got to, to find the balance of, of what that looks like for you. Maybe you're a person and you feel like you're at this level in, in your organization, but you feel like God has put within you to be at this level of your organization, but you don't want to manipulate or anything like that. But what you do want to do is you want to continue to be faithful. You want to continue, can I just tell you that oftentimes doing our part in the, in the fulfillment of God's plan is oftentimes just being faithful to do what we know to do. Oftentimes it's just being faithful to do what we know to do. And so if you're at an organizational level here, you believe that God's put in you to be here, what, what probably needs to happen is you just need to be faithful to do what you've always been doing. You need to maybe work a little harder even or show up a little earlier or leave a little later. There, there are things that we do in this divine partnership with God that allow these things to come to pass in, uh, in, in, in the appropriate time. Um, you know, I've had, uh, I've had lots of, lots of friends, uh, throughout my life. We've lived in, in a couple different states and several different cities and, uh, pastored in a couple different places. And I have, I've had, Tremendous friendships of, of people, some, some guys and ladies younger than me that, that really we'd have conversations and they would say, I feel like God has put within me that I'm going to be in ministry, vocational ministry. I, I, I really sense this. And we, we talk things out and we would go through the whole process. But at the end of the day, there, there have been times, a few times, just a few times, but there have been times where there was almost like this reluctance to partner with God in preparation of oneself in order to fulfill what they feel like God had called them to do. Oftentimes there, there was just kind of this thing of this mentality that said, well, God said he's going to bring it to pass. I believe that God's put it in me. If God put it in me, he's going to be the one to bring it to pass. And yes, that is true in part. But again, there is a divine partnership that must take place. So all I'm saying is this. I'm not saying that that we manipulate the situation and we work the promise. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Abram tried to do with Hagar, okay? He had a son, Ishmael. We're still dealing with that issue today in the Middle East, okay? So I'm not saying that we take matters into our own hands. What I am saying is that we be faithful to do what we know to do and not have an attitude of passivity about it and embrace the divine the divine tension. And so understand that, that in, in oftentimes in order to say yes to the, the fulfillment of what God wants to do, we're oftentimes going to have to say no to some other things, but this is a part of working these things out. We also understand that Abraham's promise didn't come without, uh, without waiting. 25 years, Abraham waited a quarter of a century some people don't even live that long. This man waited for 25 years for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Y'all, I'm just being honest. I get frustrated after about two weeks. About two weeks and I'm done. That's my threshold, right? But this is a great man of faith who for, for more than two decades waited patiently and did what he knew he was supposed to do so the fulfillment of God could come to pass. 
And what's even more frustrating about that is that when I look in scripture, he's in pretty good company. He's in pretty good company of people that were mightily used by God and saw the promises and the fulfillment and the purposes of God fulfilled in their life. Look at Joseph for 13 years. You look at John the Baptist for 30 years, 30 years waiting on the fulfillment of something to come to pass. It's a waiting game oftentimes. It's doing what we know to do. It's being faithful in the mundane. It's doing it when we don't feel like doing it. And God sees that faithfulness and he honors it. He honors it. I remember uh, this, this past summer we were, uh, we were, my wife and I got an incredible opportunity to go to, uh, uh, with Alex uh, over to uh, Israel. And uh, I, my wife and I, we thought, you know, we're never going to get an opportunity to go to Israel again. So uh, we're going we're gonna to do what we got to do to make sure she gets to go with me to Israel. I sold a vehicle so that she could be able to go to Israel. And, and I wouldn't change it for anything. It was, it was one of the best experiences of my life. But before we got to Israel for, for the tour, we decided that we were going to go and stop off in London for a few days as, as a connector and then hit Israel and then come back that way. And um, I remember uh, when we were in London... C.S. Lewis is an incredible hero in the faith of mine, just just a phenomenal man of God. And uh, I remember us being in London the last day, and I wanted so badly to be able to visit where uh, Lewis, uh, you know, did a lot of his writing and where he lived and went to school and everything. And uh, so I told my wife, I said, look, you stay here. We had some friends that were with us. I said, you stay here in London. I'm getting on a train. I'm going to Oxford. It was an hour away. And so I, I got on the train. I paid $100 to go see this man where he ate lunch, you know, and I, uh, we got on the train, or I got on the train, I went to Oxford, I walked in, and I, I get to eat at the pub where, like, him and J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, used to meet and write. It was, it was an incredible experience. But, but one of the most profound things, uh, it's incredibly simplistic, but incredibly profound at the same time that C.S. Lewis ever said was this. He said that I'm sure that God keeps no one waiting unless God sees that it is good for him to wait. I am sure that God keeps no one from waiting unless God sees that it is good for him to wait. You know what the reality is? Is that with the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans, it's oftentimes, it's not that the promise or the purpose isn't ready. It's that we aren't ready. And so there is this deep marinating that happens in the spirit realm as we wait on the Lord as we're patient, as we're faithful, that God ultimately uses these things to bring them to fulfillment. And finally, God's promises, his purposes for Abraham's life didn't come without wondering. If you're human here, just if you're human, and you have to wait more than that two-week threshold, there's going to be questions, and there's going to be frustration, and there at times is going to be hurt, and there is, is oftentimes going to be pain associated in the waiting. But what we need to understand is that it is okay for us to experience these emotions. God created us in his image. God himself carries emotion. Not in the same way that we carry emotions, but God himself carries emotion. And so for us, we need to understand that as we wait, sometimes it's okay to get frustrated. Sometimes it's okay to cry. Sometimes it's okay to hurt. But what we, what we cannot do 
is venture towards this line that, that says that God demands something for us. That, that we don't get close to the line where we come saying, God, um, God requires to give this of me. We have to keep in mind that God, we don't deserve anything. We deserve nothing. But as his sons and daughters, we can come to expect every promise that he's given to us. And there is an honorable way to expect from the Lord. There's a dishonorable way, but there's also an honorable way to expect from the Lord. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Subscribe to our podcast for new messages weekly. Visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources. We hope you have a blessed week.